Matthew 28. Matthew 28. This morning we'll be looking at verses 18 through 20. Decisions or disciples. Decisions or disciples. Which of the two is the primary aim and the mission of the church? Decisions or disciples. Is it just to tell people the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ has paid for the sins on the cross? Is it just enough to tell them the gospel and hope they make a decision to follow Christ? Though if, if we're kind of honest with ourselves, many of us might say we don't do that at all or often? Or is the primary aim making followers of Christ who are growing in their walk with Him? We call those disciples. In a Baptist News article, one writer wrote, quote, most of evangelism today is obsessed with getting someone to make a decision. The apostles, however, were obsessed with making disciples. Obsessed with making disciples. Man, we want to have that obsession too, don't we? As we think about continuing the Church Matters series, and we think about our, our part in the life of the church, we, we've shifted into thinking, okay, what is our response? How do we act as a church? What do we do as part of the church? We must remember that our lives are to be an ongoing expression of worship, the worship of Christ. As we talked about last week, He is the focus of our worship. Worship of Him is the primary goal in everything. Specifically, the worship of Christ is our Creator and our Savior. Now, with that foundation set, that the worship is the primary goal in everything, today we're going to look at how our worship of Christ overflows then into obediently following His marching orders. What is the church to do here on the earth? Well, very generally, you could say she is to follow the commands of her Lord. We honor Christ, we worship Him when we follow His commands, including the mission He has given us. So we're not just here to hang out and have a good time, though we like to do that with one another. We have marching orders from our King, and our obedience to Christ's commands is an act of worship towards Him. And as we look at Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20 this morning, we see that the church's mission hinges on three all-encompassing declarations of Christ. Three all-encompassing declarations of Christ. You will see Christ's all-encompassing authority, Christ's all-encompassing command, and Christ's all-encompassing presence. And that drives the point that the church's faithfulness to Christ requires disciples making more disciples of Christ. That's what a faithful church looks like. That's what we are to do as the church. So let's read Matthew 28, and we're going to read for the context, verses 16 through 20. Matthew writes, beginning in verse 16, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Well, in the context here at the end of Matthew's Gospel, we know that Christ died on the cross, was nailed to a cross, was crucified. We know it's not for his own sins because he didn't sin. It was for the sin of others. And in that moment on the cross, as he bore the wrath of God for others, for us, he satisfied the wrath of God so that he could say it is finished. All that was prophesied for him to do in atoning for men's sins at the cross was finished, and now we can have peace with God through him. And yet he didn't stay dead. He rose again, which is just as crucial as the cross. We don't serve a dead God, we serve a living God. His resurrection verified that he is the son of David, as was told of him in the genealogy in the first chapter of Matthew. It verified that he is the son of God, he pleased the Father, he obeyed the Father. His words were all true. He said he would rise, and he did. And his work was accepted by God. The resurrection is crucial to our salvation. And as as Christ is risen, he gathers his 11 disciples to him. They go to Galilee, to some mountain, and Jesus comes to them. He comes to them. And you've got to think of the compassion there. Here they had forsaken him as he went to the cross And yet he didn't just cast them away. He comes in compassion and love to them. And they worship him. They worship him. Note, he doesn't forbid them from worshiping him. And worship is to be to God and God alone. So an emphasis here on an implication of the deity of Christ. They worship him. He does not stop them from doing so. That is because he is God and it is right to worship him. Well, they worship him. It is interesting, Matthew notes that some doubted. You know, this, this term for doubted could have a range of meaning. It would seem here it was best to understand that, that some were uncertain or they were hesitant. Possibly as, as Jesus was maybe in the distance coming to them, wondering, is this really Jesus? You know, he had just died and now he's risen again. Maybe some uncertainty there and how to respond to him in this new situation and as he has in his resurrected form. But obviously, as you read the rest of the Bible, especially read the book of Acts, you find out they didn't remain uncertain about that. In fact, the book of Acts confirms that the 11 were faithful to the commission he would give them here. And so we arrive at verse 18 and we see the first declaration, Christ's all-encompassing authority. Authority. He says in verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Has been given to me. Jesus has been given all authority by the Father to reign as the sovereign king over, over what? Everything. Everything. The whole universe, from heaven to earth, everything is to submit to him. All, he has all the authority. The, the term authority here means the right to control or command. 
an absolute power. What He says goes. It is pretty neat when you, and that might be an understatement, fascinating. It is fascinating when you read this passage. Matthew uses the term all four times. And this is the first one, all authority. There is a repetition of all four times in this section, indicating it's all-encompassing. Jesus rules over everything. There is nothing in this life that is off-limits to Him. Even as we're prone to think in a model of secular versus sacred, you know, the secular, you, you do this over here, but, you know, the sacred things like going to church, you know, oh, those are different Jesus rules over secular and sacred. There's no out-of-bounds for Him, off-limits for Him. The time of His humiliation, as He comes to them and tells them this, the, the time of Christ's humiliation and His lowliness had ended. Or he, was, he humbled Himself to the point of death, being lowly, the suffering servant, That time has ended, and now He is the triumphant King. He had suffered as the Lord's servant, but was raised again as the conqueror. Turn your Bibles with me to Revelation 19. Revelation 19, verse 11. He is risen as the conqueror. Well, let's get a glimpse of this conqueror. And it is fascinating what you see in Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16, at his second coming, at his return, what the conqueror looks like, what he does. Revelation 19, beginning in verse 11. Listen how Jesus is described and and what it says he does. Verse 11, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That is Christ. That is our conqueror who one day will put all of his enemies away. He will triumph once and for all over them. No one can stand before him and shake their fist and get away with it. You can turn back to Matthew 28. He is the conqueror and this authority has been given him. It's been given to him. This term is a passive verb indicating that he received this from someone. This is God the Father had bestowed such a position on the Son, such a privilege. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 say, and he put all things, the Father put all things under his, the Son's feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. 
He is the head of the church. He is the ruler over all things. And Jesus alone carries this privileged position as God's exalted one. His exalted one who is supreme over all. He no longer carries the limitations of his incarnation. Now everything must bow to him. Everything. It's fascinating. There's so many fascinating things in Scripture. Daniel 7 there's a, there's a parallel here in this authority given to Christ to Daniel 7. And in Daniel 7, Daniel has visions of kings and times to come. And in Daniel 7, 13 through 14, he writes, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him, the one like a son of man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. A fascinating section. Again, fascinating must be the word of the day here. Amazing text. Talking about the, the sun the, the second person of the Trinity who comes and is given by the ancient of days, referring to the Father, this dominion, this rule that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. You might remember in the gospel accounts, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. Alluding back to this title, this description given here in Daniel 7. The Son of Man, the one like a Son of Man, will rule over all. And notice it's in Daniel 7, all will serve Him. Obviously, all are not serving Him now. That's still to come, but they will. His kingdom will be set up forever. The King will be here forever when He returns, and He will rule with a rod of iron. Jesus is that King, and we proclaim the message of the kingdom, which is the gospel that makes people kingdom citizens. There is no being a part of the kingdom unless you repent and trust in the king. And we await the return of the king at his second coming when he will be here ruling and everyone will submit to him and that will be a great day. So he has all authority. How does that impact us? Well, it means we ought to submit to him and obey him. Submit to Christ and obey Christ. Consider what he has said in, in everything that he has said. Live as he has commanded. Even passages you think of like, okay, how do I live as Christ has commanded? How do I submit to him? Well, think of passages like Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, where the word of God says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice, but be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. I gotta submit to that. I gotta obey what he says there. I need to put away the bitterness. I need to put on the kindness i got to forgive people that really agitate me. That's hard. In fact, it's impossible without the Holy Spirit. So I submit to Him in everything. I ought to also trust in Him and walk in peace. You think of the, 
the context here of this commission, it is reassuring that Christ has the all-encompassing authority over heaven and earth because the Great Commission takes place on the battlefields of a spiritual war. We are seeking to rescue those who are enslaved to darkness and sin, who are part of the kingdom of Satan. So in a sense, it's like we are invading the enemy's territory to rescue captives. And we find out very quickly, and as we read the scriptures, certainly, that the enemy does not like that. And so it's good to know, this is reassuring to know, that the one who gives these marching orders, this commission to go make disciples, is the true king to whom everyone must submit to, including the enemy one day will submit to him. So it would be reassuring. We can trust in him. We can walk in peace. So the first declaration that Christ gives is his all-encompassing authority over heaven and earth, including our lives. And then the next declaration, the second declaration that Jesus gives is the command to a certain mission. This is verses 19 through the first part of verse 20. Christ's all-encompassing command. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. You'll notice, beginning of verse 19, you have the word therefore. And as we ask, when we see a therefore, we say, what's the therefore therefore? Well, it is therefore a reason. It is continuing a thought, bringing the, in light of what has just been said, he now makes this next statement. As the one with all authority, Jesus commands his people to make disciples. The king gives his orders and the servants are to faithfully devote themselves to it, to this mission, to this work. Jesus is the master and his command is not a suggestion. The followers of Christ are called to go and call others to follow Christ. Now, Jesus is talking to his disciples here which implies that to make disciples, you must first be a disciple. I know, revolutionary thought. Which, to be a disciple, means you need to hear the gospel. You can back up, you say, you need to hear the bad news. There's a holy God and you're a sinner who's very unholy. And God is just and perfect and he will punish sin. He will pour out his wrath on that. And we have not obeyed him. We have not obeyed his commands. We've rebelled against him. And so we deserve his wrath. However, Christ came to be that one to atone for our sins, to satisfy the wrath of God, to pay for our sins so that we would be reconciled to God. And now we must, everyone must repent and trust in him. And when you repent and trust in him, yes, you are given the assurance of eternal life. You are forgiven you are now a disciple of Christ. So, what is a disciple? Well, most basically, it is a student or learner of Jesus. A student or learner of Jesus. You, you, you learn about him and then you follow him. You learn about him and you follow him. A, a disciple is not just someone who makes a decision to accept the Lord and then goes about their life as if nothing significant has happened who are to be devoted to him. And you, when, you, when you stop and think about what he's done for you, that devotion should not be drudgery. It should flow from a heart of worship, 
Wow, look what you've done for me, Jesus. This is so amazing that you would pay for my sins and that I don't have to take the wrath one day that I really deserve and I get to spend forever and eternity with you. Yes, I give you my life. What do you say? I'll do it. It should flow not from drudgery but out of delight in him. And it is a lifelong pursuit, a lifelong commitment, a lifelong you could say growth as a student of Jesus, where we ought to be seeing in our lives a faithfulness to him, a prioritizing the Lord, which means we are intentionally seeking to grow and serve him. There ought to be a sense of teachableness in our lives that I desire to learn God's word and how it applies to me. I'm I'm willing to accept correction where needed, Correction that is based on what the Bible says. Remember, we want to come to each other with, the Bible says this, not my preference says this. We ought to be teachable in that. We ought to desire to help others. I mean, who, don't we want people to know about how great Christ is? Don't we want to see each other's lives conform to obey Him and to walk faithfully with Him? We walk in obedience to Him. Are we growing as these types of students of Christ? So the main command he gives us here is not, as can be confusing and has been wrongly taught at times, is not go. If you look at the text, it does say go, therefore, go is first and make disciples. However, the main verb, the main point is to make disciples. Our main task, our mission, what is it? To go make disciples of Jesus. To make, go make followers of Christ who love him and want to live for him. And the target of this work to make disciples is what? Does, what? What's the text say? All nations. All nations. All the nations. Because, remember, Jesus is the one with the sovereign authority over all nations. He can demand that disciples be made from everywhere in the world. And while many will take this and emphasize the people groups and how do we understand nations, the emphasis here, the main idea, is the all-encompassing universal scope of people everywhere. Go make disciples of people everywhere. And the, and, and the mindset of, of here with these 11 is not just Israel. It's now the Gentiles. It's everyone. Now, we are to go, which we typically associate with the idea of evangelism or even missions, but that's not the main verb here. It's, it's what we call a participle, which is connected to the main command to make disciples is a command and so that's why when you read the bible in your english translation it does give it the sense of an imperative go do this because it, it attaches it brings along the the main idea of making disciples but this word go can be include it can include going about your life as well as going elsewhere near and far Evangelism here, evangelism there. Missions here, missions there. Church ministry here, church ministry there. There is to be an intentionality of going to people. We, we don't just sit back and wait for them to come to us. The 12, the, or sorry, at this point it would be the 11, didn't just sit back 
in Galilee, or they would go to Jerusalem and twiddle their thumbs and wait. Now, it is amazing what he did at Pentecost, when it did draw people, but the mission, even if we see in Acts 1-8, was that they would go out, Jerusalem, Samaria, to the ends of the world. There is to be an intentionality in our lives to tell others here and there about the gospel. If they don't hear it, how can they become Jesus' disciples? You think of Romans 10, verses 13 through 15 say, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Wow, so sweet of God. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they here without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. If people are going to be reconciled to Christ, made his followers, well, they've got to hear about him. And so we need to be going and telling people, intentionally going, or as we go about our lives here. Are we seeking or are we making opportunities to tell people about Jesus? whether it be with our neighbors or with strangers. Sadly, it seems like comforts in our lives and the fear of man often crowd out this intentional evangelism. Maybe churches would be less prone to fight internally if we were more focused on sharing the gospel externally. Maybe churches would be less prone to fight internally if we were more focused on living as disciples of Jesus. You know, one really beautiful aspect about the church is that we can learn from our brothers and sisters in Christ who seem to excel at talking to other people about Jesus. I mean, you probably have names that pop in your head right now. There are people in this room I can think about. Just, there's just something about them. They excel in this and in the church what's beautiful is they can help encourage all of us to share the gospel we can we can learn from the the wisdom of their experience and use it to help equip us on how to engage with others that's the beauty of the church we're here to help each other we use our gifts to to build the body up and as the body's built up disciples are built up and then disciples are made that's where what we are to be doing now he says, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is actually not a, to get technical with grammar, it's not a verb here. This is a participle again, just like go, which means it's not the main point. It is serving the main verb in some way. It's telling here how, telling us what disciple making consists of. It consists of them repenting and trusting in Christ to be a disciple. And once they are a disciple, they are to be baptized is the first one. And we'll see teaching is the other one, other one. Baptizing should be a normal part of the life of the church. It's an act of obedience for believers because, well, he commands it here. And it is an identification with Christ in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. It's an identification with even the new covenant community. I belong to Christ and His people. An outward declaration of a new allegiance that has taken place internally. 
Now, it is admittedly very closely associated with salvation when you read the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, but it is never used to be the means by which someone is saved. You're not saved through baptism. Salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It is those who repent and trust in Christ that are to be baptized. And when they do so, they declare to the world, but then to, each, to us, to each other, which ought to be encouraging to us and to them. It declares their allegiance in their life is now to Jesus, saying, I belong to Jesus and his people over any other group in the world. And it is done in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In that name, demonstrating that demonstrating your, your, your commitment, your association, your allegiance to this triune God. The, the word name here is actually singular. It doesn't say in the names of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is the name, which is a, a, an indication to the triune nature of God. There's one God in three persons, each person fully God and of the same essence, yet three distinct persons in the Godhead. So we are baptizing disciples. But then we also see what are we to be doing in an ongoing nature? Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teaching them to observe, not to just learn, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, it's, I picked this up in one of the commentaries, and I think it's true and fascinating. He calls this the great omission of the great commission. The great omission. Teaching them. It's so common to just get people to walk an aisle, raise your hand, say a prayer, make a decision for Christ, but then never calling them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. To teach here means to provide instruction in a formal or informal sense. There is a formality in the teaching in the church, and there's an informal sense in which we're teaching in our everyday life. What instruction do we teach? Well, we teach them to observe all that Jesus has commanded. What does it mean to observe? Well, it means to persist in obedience, to keep it, to fulfill it, to pay attention to it. There's an ongoing aspect here, and it's to be an active pursuit that I am doing whatever I can to keep obeying what Christ has said. All that He has said, His commands, His word. And if I'm going to obey it, that means I need to know it. That's why we teach it. Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Well, we got to know them. We got to know the word of God. We got to know the scriptures. That's, that's why we don't preach or teach or disciple with trending entertainment, science, politics, fads, you name it. We don't preach, teach, and disciple with that. It's the Word of God that is preached, that is taught, that is used to disciple. It gets the primary focus. And if we stray from that, we are not being faithful to Jesus' commands here. As a disciple is baptized, 
and has taught the word, there ought to be an ongoing sense of growth and fruit in their life. If we aren't growing, then we need to evaluate if first we're even saved, and second, if we're just puffing ourselves up with knowledge. The point is not just knowledge, but knowledge and obedience. We ought to be intentionally discipling, helping one another. But sadly, we can act like we, we can easily act like we've got it all figured out and know everything. You might know those people. You might have been one of those people. I was and can be one of those people. You know, when you're not a parent, you're the perfect parent. You're an expert on marriage before you're married. For youth, there's the tendency that you know everything about how life works and what you ought to do and what's right and wrong, even though you've actually never lived outside of your parents' house and aren't working a job or having those types of responsibilities. We chuckle because we know they're true. It's all pride at the core. Why are we so afraid to let others help us know God's word and to apply it to our life? Isn't, I mean, isn't that our desire, right, to be more faithful disciples of Christ? Why are we so afraid to let others help us in that? We don't want to look less superior or mature. We need each other. We, we need each other to help keep God's word as the primary, primary influence in how we live. Even, even thinking back a couple weeks ago as we looked at the roles and responsibilities of an elder, that's the role of an elder, is to, to help you, to help each other, to help one another know how I ought to live according to God's word. We ought not be afraid to have the help of one another. That's, God has given us each other. I will go even further. I'll say God has assigned us to each other. We are to be about the business of making disciples. Mark Dever has said, quote, discipleship means growing as followers of Jesus and helping others to do the same. We don't just strive for converts or decisions. We help people of all ages and maturity levels to know God, to know his word and how to live for him. So ask, how can you be learning from a mature, seasoned, wise, tested Christian? And how then can you pass that truth on to others? I mean, imagine what it would be like here at Eastridge and the impact it'd have and then the impact it'd have on the community if we were vigorously making disciples. Can you imagine, you'd walk through the foyer and you'd hear people talking about their lives and the scriptures and what Christ says. You'd be having, people would be having conversations with each other and hearing the struggles someone's going through and bringing them the word. This is what the word says. Let me, or what they're saying doesn't sound right. This is what the word is about. The Bible says this. Let's think through that. Or hey, let's get a cup of coffee and let's start reading through the Bible together. Let's read through the book of John together. And maybe you read a chapter uh, each week, uh, we'll do it, and then we'll meet, and we'll talk about what we learned, and then, hey, maybe we can each go and find someone else we can do this with. Or, hey, brother, you know, I, you're a new parent, you know, I see you're struggling. You, you, want, you want to just meet every couple weeks and let me help you? 
think through how the Bible taught, there's much coming down your road being a parent. Let me prepare you for that. I mean, imagine if it was just constant. The, the zeal would be present of, man, I'm reading the word, I'm praying, I'm reading with one another, and I'm praying with one another, and then I'm sharing with one another, and I'm like, oh, so excited, I can't wait to share this with someone else. And it would, it would be like catching on fire, a wildfire. And then, then that would have overflow into the community, telling your neighbors, you know, hey, I, I see you guys, you know, left for Christmas morning. Where did you go? You're like, don't you stay home for Christmas? Oh, we went to church and we learned about, what, about Christ and what he has done, coming to this earth to save us. Let me tell you about Jesus. Do you, do you, do you know about Jesus? Well, hey, let's start Me, uh, Would you like to meet like once every couple weeks and we could, I'd like to tell you about him. And then you start meeting, this guy comes to Christ, and then you get your other neighbor involved or someone else he knows, hey, I know this person, could you tell him about Jesus? And it just creates this ministry of multiplication, this ministry of zeal as we build one another up and love for the word and, and growing as disciples and making disciples. Imagine what God could do here and in this community. It would be amazing. Might look like the book of Acts. Our King Jesus has all authority and has commanded us to intentionally focus on making more followers of him. And it's no small task. Especially imagine how the first 11 apostles here felt. I'm going to go to all of where to tell all of what to make what? Really? They might have felt a sense of fear and being overwhelmed, but Jesus cuts them off at the pass here, cuts off that sense of hesitation with a sweet promise of his all-encompassing presence. And that's our third declaration, Christ's all-encompassing presence. He says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus promises to be with his disciples always. And they were to go and make more disciples and he would be with those disciples always. And they would go and make more disciples and he'd be with those disciples always. I think you see the trend here. The one who rules heaven and earth commands followers to be made from all over the world and these followers live as he dictates and in all this he promises to always be with his people. And this is important. Matthew even says, and behold, he records Jesus saying, and behold, when this word is used in the scripture, that means, hey, wake up, pay attention. This is something important that I'm about to say. Behold, I am with you always I'm with you always actually translates very literally all the days there's our other all all authority making disciples of all nations to follow all he's commanded and he's with us all our days if you remember the beginning of the gospel of Matthew there's that sweet statement about who Jesus is given in Matthew 1.23, it says this, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. It's like a, the bookends of Matthew almost here. Promise that God would, through Christ, God is always with us, and Jesus himself with his own words, I am always with you all your days to the end of the age or the, the rest of our lives. 
The rest of our lives, Jesus will dwell by his spirit with us. And in fact, he dwells he does dwell within us by his spirit, which is good news that he doesn't just dwell around us, outside of us, but it's within us. Two reasons come to mind. One, because you know, I really need to be changed to be more like Christ from the inside out. Okay, inside out. So it's good that he dwells within me. And two, because he gives peace and courage and wisdom to obey the Great Commission. He gives me that internally. Now one day, At the end of this age, we will be with our Lord. He will return. He will judge the wicked. He will rule the nations like we read in Revelation 19. But for now, we serve as his ambassadors, calling people everywhere to be reconciled to Christ. This is for 2 Corinthians 5, 20. And his power works through us for his glory and, and the good of his people. And so as we face this task of making disciples in a fallen world, we can embark with peace knowing that our Lord is with us. As we engage in conversation with our, with our neighbors, with our unsaved relatives at the Thanksgiving table, maybe as in another country as you go to share the good news, or as you minister to one another in the church of how to be more like Christ, You can face all this knowing that Jesus is with you, working in you and working through you, even in the face of hostility. You can remember that Christ is the one they must bow to. And he is the one that can change their heart. No one is too difficult for Jesus to save. The work of evangelism and discipling is ultimately Jesus' work. He is the sovereign one in it. We are just his messengers, his instruments. And that's good news. Because it means I don't, when I have a conversation with somebody, I don't have to change their heart. I don't have to convert them. It is Christ who does that. And the church will be more Christ-like as she observes all that her Lord commands his all-encompassing presence. Now, it is intriguing that Matthew does not end his gospel with the ascension. You ever notice that? He doesn't end his gospel with the ascension. He ends it here with this commission. Actually, he ends it with Jesus' declaration of authority, his commissioned to us the command and his promise of being present. It ends with his promise to be present with us. Which gives emphasis that the ongoing mission of the church is to be engaging while Christ is dwelling with us. Our focus is proclaiming the gospel, bringing people to Christ, helping each other grow, all the while Jesus abides with us. Now, that That is costly. It is costly to follow this commission. But we are to give our lives to it because we love and we worship Jesus. Remember, without Christ, people will die in their sins and spend eternity under the wrath of God. So let us love God and others enough to give them the gospel and then help them to be a faithful follower of Jesus. The church's faithfulness to Christ requires disciples making more disciples of Christ. 
so will we obey our King Jesus' marching orders? Will we obey him and do this? I pray so. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for oh, this the amazing, wonderful truth these three verses provide for us to remind us that Jesus rules supreme over all, including our lives, that he has given us work to do in making disciples and being a disciple, and we know we don't have that mastered, but we know that you're always with us. Father, may we be intentional to grow as disciples, to help one another out of love, to be conformed more to the image of Christ, and then may that catch fire elsewhere, including our community, and may we see many people coming to Christ. Father, we thank you that you're always with us, and we thank you for the promise that one day we will see you face to face. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.